0: Everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Hedging Screens podcast. I hope everybody is doing well. I hope everybody is... I don't even know what the fuck I hope everybody is doing. I'm just kind of rambling until I stumble over the words. Um, not much has been going on. That's actually a lie. A lot of shit has been going on. Um, namely, we got a full fucking experience of the New York state climate where you can wake up one day and it be nice as fuck. The sun will be out. The birds will be chirping 60 degrees, slight breeze, perfect spring weather. And then you go to bed, you wake up the next morning and the birds are no longer chirping. Now they're chilling up in the tree with icicles coming off of their beaks. That's how fickle the weather is here. I think it was on Friday. It was like 60 degrees. You know, you wake up and you don't even need a sweatshirt to step outside. You just need a light flannel, something like that. You know, something out of the 90s Seattle collection and you're good. And yesterday I woke up and it was 24 degrees. It was cold enough to snow after being perfect on Friday. And it was just so depressing that's the crazy thing about mother nature is that we don't know much about this life but one thing is that mother nature is a cruel bitch like she does not give a fuck about you or your feelings she'll you know just wake up one day and be like all right i'm gonna take your seasonal depression away but you're gonna have consistent allergy attacks for like three months and everyone's like oh that's awesome you know no more depression but you're fucking spending the next three months sneezing and your eyes are dry and you're foggy and it's just so annoying sometimes man it it really is it it truly is just a wild card living up here and that that's the truth man um so what's going on in the NBA world we're back to games finally after the all-star break I don't remember when I last week it was I think the day before the game started Um, either that or yeah, there was only a couple of games, but you know, we're back in the swing of things and my nets keep rolling. They actually played the Knicks last night. The Knicks played a fantastic game. I will give them credit. And the nets skated by on the skin of their scrotums after Scott Foster missed a call that some felt could have decided the game. I'm not sure if that's the case because the Knicks would have still had to... I believe they would have had to come back and make a three. But if you didn't catch the game last night, the Nets had quite the lead in the third quarter. I think it was like the second quarter, third quarter. They were playing pretty well. And then it all just started to crumble. The Knicks just would not die. They were looking like a goddamn cockroach. Actually, I don't know if I should have said that. That's kind of disrespectful. But you guys get the metaphor. They just like, no matter what happened... The resiliency was on another level. This shit was just crazy. And they really did play a fantastic game. I will give them a lot of credit. But I'm not going get to all, get all bent out of shape about the bad call at the end. Because if you've watched a decent amount of Nets games this year, on more than one occasion, there has been some questionable uh, affiliating officiating. And I'm just glad that for once, for once... It went our way. Now, the play that's in question is Julius Randle chilling on the three-point line. The Knicks had just won a jump ball, which I don't know how they came to that conclusion because I kind of put the game on late or re-put the game on late, if that makes any sense. And they're at center court. The Knicks win the jump. Tom Thibodeau calls a timeout. And the Knicks drop a play where Julius Randle catches the inbound on the right wing. pretty sure it was the right wing. And he gets into his motion, and as he's going to shoot, right, Kyrie Irving comes and hits the ball. Julius Randle comes back down, and Scott Foster calls him for a travel. Now, if you've played basketball at any level ever before, that play right there should have been, if not a play on, a jump ball at the very least, because... Once the defender makes contact with the ball, if you do pick up your dribble, once the defender makes contact with the basketball, you're allowed to continue dribbling. So Kyrie did that and Julius Randle got called for a travel and to get the ball back and they go on to win. Will this game make or break anything for either team? No, it will not. The Nets are still, I think, the best team in the East as of this morning. Um, they're still right up there. With the Philadelphia 76ers. The Sixers are actually one game ahead of them in the loss column. And New York is still in the playoff race. They're still at 500, too, which is fucking crazy, man. But, you know, the Nets have been without Kevin Durant for a while now. I think it's coming up on like, it feels like three fucking months. It feels like KD hasn't played a game in 2021 with this ongoing hamstring injury. And clearly, As you can see, the Nets are proceeding very cautiously with the former MVP. Now, KD hasn't played since that one game against Golden State in February. So he's been out for more than a month already. And then before that, he had missed three games as well. So Kevin Durant is just pretty much not in the rotation at this point. And I don't foresee him returning to the rotation until it's... Postseason time, which I'm totally fine with. As you can see, the Nets are doing just fine without him, and there's no need to rush him back. Especially with him coming off an Achilles injury, there's no need to rush him back if the team is fine. They've played 12 games without Kevin Durant, and they are one and 11. Oh no, excuse me, <laughs> they are 11 and one. Their one loss came against the Dallas Mavericks, and the only reason they lost that game is because. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving were out. And the Nets were also on the second half of back-to-back, I believe. Um, also, the team just really did not play well that night. Joe Harris looked like shit. TLC looked like shit. Landry Shamet looked like shit. It was just not a good game for the Nets. And, you know, sometimes that'll happen. But the recent surge of this team, where they have been pretty much unbeatable, Has, I think, vaulted both James Harden and Kyrie Irving into the MVP race, into the MVP race, like actually legitimately into the MVP race. As you guys probably know, I have gone back and forth with my MVP candidate this season because I feel that that should be fluid, especially because there isn't one person who is so far out ahead of everybody else. At first, it was Kevin Durant. I was watching Kevin Durant drop 30 points every single night with just absolutely astounding efficiency. He was doing it without breaking a sweat and while also coming off of an Achilles injury. And at that point, he was pretty much the only one keeping the Nets from collapsing because just watching them now, they are a much more cohesive unit. Their chemistry... Has, I think, peaked. And without Kevin Durant, is the fucking crazy part. Like James Harden and Kyrie and everybody around them really just understand each other's little tendencies or little quirks and what makes everybody so unique. They understand that about each other now. But in the beginning of the season, it was pretty much like feed Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and let them put up 65 points a night together and we'll just figure it out. Well, they figured it out. And Kevin Durant has effectively fallen out of the MVP race because of the amount of time he's missed. He's missed about half the games thus far this season. He's only appeared in 19 and the Nets have played 40 after playing on Monday. So it's safe to say that he is, in fact, well out of the race. Now, there's a bunch of other guys throughout the league. There's Joel Embiid. There's LeBron James. There's Nikola Jokic. Um, I never really considered Nikola Jokic... A legitimate candidate because Denver was just so piss poor at the beginning of the season, but they've really come alive as of late. And Jokic has just been absolutely phenomenal. I mean, if it weren't for him, they would not be where they're at. They're now 20, 23 and 16 after being around 500 a couple weeks ago. Absolutely amazing. But after seeing what happened with Kevin Durant and also seeing how just dominant the Philadelphia 76ers were and also the Lakers to a certain degree but them losing Anthony Davis has kind of um, pulled their ceiling down a little bit I've I felt that Joel Embiid I even I think I titled an episode like the NBA MVP is Joel Embiid's to lose or something like that because that's really how I felt about it he was the best player in the league the most dominant player in the league on the best team in the league I mean there's like a one game difference between the Utah Jazz and the 76ers, but I think compared to Donovan Mitchell, who is technically the best player on the best team in the NBA, Joel Embiid just statistically blows him out of the water. This dude's at like 30 points and 11 boards shooting the best basketball or shooting the best percentages off his career. It really is a sight to behold. Now, unfortunately, a couple days ago, I think it was whenever March 12th was, March 13th, I think that was a Saturday. No, it was the night before, that Friday. Joel Embiid hyperextended his left knee and wound up leaving the Sixers game against uh, whoever the fuck they played. I don't remember. I, I, I don't remember. I have a terrible memory, especially with teams I don't really cover that um, closely. So Saturday comes around and Embiid goes, gets an MRI done, and that is ultimately going to determine... The severity of this injury, and fortunately, um, this was this story was broken by ESPN's Woj and Ramona Shelburne, saying that quote and this is um just the tweet by the way this isn't from the actual article although the you know they're pretty much one and the same said uh, Woj said Philadelphia star Joel Embiid's MRI revealing he's sidestepped significant injury to his left knee and an initial two week timeline on a return. This is good so. Joel Embiid will be reevaluated in, I believe, two weeks, the article says. Just, you know, I think um, Woj said really the only thing there was was a bone bruise. I really don't know how that happens. I guess like the bones just fucking bang into each other. I really, I really have no idea. But yeah, Philadelphia 76er star Joel Embiid has a bone bruise on his left knee and will be reevaluated in two weeks. So no structural damage, no ligament damage. No meniscus injuries. His ACL is good. His um, MCL is good. All the fucking CLs in his knee are good. And ultimately, that's good news for the Sixers, who actually came out their first game without Embiid and just shit, chat, shitted all over the San Antonio Spurs. Now, for me, when I'm looking at MVP candidates, there are really two things that I look for. I look for statistical play and the team record at the bare minimum. I want the recipient of the award to be on a team that is at least a little bit over 500. And of course, if their numbers aren't good enough, if their numbers back it up, give him the award. Fuck it. I always bring up that one race a couple of years ago between Russ and Harden, where I feel like I can't say this enough. I picked James Harden just because I felt his case was stronger. He had better numbers or he had comparable numbers and his team was significantly better. But I understood why Russ won the award, and I wasn't upset that Russ won the award. Also, the narratives help a lot. Maybe the Nets benefit from that this year, but at this rate, Joel Embiid is most likely still going to win the award because he will. If, if this is the only significant time he misses all season, he's only missing, I think, seven or eight games out of 72. I mean, he's missed a couple... Already, but really nothing super detrimental. I mean, he's played in 31 games. It's the Sixers have played 27 and 12 is 39. He's already missed eight games. It's really not that big of a deal. I don't know what the narrative would be for Embiid to win, other than you know he's just the most dominant player in the NBA, which is good enough for me. But what we're gonna do is we're gonna head over to the Nets page. We're gonna look at Kyrie Irving and James Harden because Brooklyn has two MVP candidates, which I don't think anybody expected. Now, I have to preface this. Both Kyrie Irving and James Harden are posting incredible numbers. However, their numbers are inflated by Kevin Durant not being healthy. I have no doubt in my mind that if KD were healthy, he would be the frontrunner For the NBA MVP because he would be the best player on the best team. The Nets are already the best team without him. And you're missing a guy who's averaging 29 points on like fucking 60 something percent true shooting or whatever. 60. No, that's Joe Harris. Uh, Where's he at? Where the fuck is Katie? 65.2 percent true shooting. I, uh, I feel that undeniably. Kevin Durant will win the award. Now. It gets a little tricky when talking about Kyrie and Harden together. Because I really don't even know why. I mean, I do know why, but I just have to kind of find the words to figure it out. So, you know, before we dive in, we'll start with the numbers. Kyrie, 27.6 points, 5.8 assists, 4.7 rebounds. Is shooting 52% from the floor and 41.5% from three compared to Harden. Harden is averaging 25 points, 11 assists, nine rebounds, and is shooting 48.6% from the field and 37 or 38.7% from three. On paper, I think James Harden has the stronger case to be the MVP. As much as I would love to see Kyrie Irving win it, statistically, It's really hard to say that he's been better than James Harden. He has undeniably been just as vital in the next in the Nets success as Harden has been. But Harden just puts up numbers with such ease. You know, I'm going to pull up his game log because it's like every time he takes the court, he's doing something fucking ridiculous. Last night or on Monday against the Knicks, 21 points, 15 boards, 15 assists. The first 15-15-15 game in Nets history. The game before that, triple double. Two games before that, triple double. The game before that game two days ago, triple double. That game three days before, that one game where he had the triple double, another triple double. This guy has like 10 triple doubles since joining the Nets. And I'm not saying that just because of that, he deserves to win the MVP. It's because those are pretty much fueling the Nets run his James Harden's performance his triple doubles his passing his scoring his rebounding his facilitating his fucking basketball IQ all of this is fueling the Nets run and I can say that because a couple weeks ago Kyrie Irving came out and said I spoke to James Harden and I said you're going to be the point guard I'm going to be the shooting guard James Harden is the catalyst of the best offense in the league. Does that make him the best player on the best team in the league? You know, it's really hard to say that he's not one of the three best players in the NBA right now. I think as of right now, he's in there. A healthy Joel Embiid is in there. And I think... It's either LeBron or Giannis for that third spot, like, or I'll throw Kyrie in there as well. LeBron, Giannis and Kyrie at like between three, four and five, that, that little spot. But, you know, James Harden has really helped push this Nets offense to another level. Um, And I also don't know if Kyrie Irving would be able to fill the same role that Harden is filling because... It makes sense for Kyrie not to want to play point guard because, like, just by looking at his numbers, he is a score-first guard. He doesn't pass that well. I don't want to say he doesn't pass well because he does pass relatively well. But compared to other guys, compared to guys like Steph, compared to guys like fucking, I don't know, Dame, Chris Paul, it's just different. Like, Kyrie just gets the ball and wants to embarrass his defender And the best way that he's going to embarrass his defender is by putting the ball on the deck and putting a pair of ice skates on this man and just taking him out to the, just taking him square dancing. That's the best way that Kyrie Irving can um, assert himself. James Harden, although he is a very talented scorer, there isn't really nothing that this man cannot do. And, you know, we're really seeing it. In Houston, I always knew that James Harden was a fantastic passer. But after watching him come to Brooklyn and just seeing how different he is and how differently his mind works, he has that elusive trait as to where he just he just knows where the ball needs to go and when it needs to go there. This is the trait that LeBron has. This is the trait that Chris Paul has. This is the trait that I feel like LaMelo Ball even has. After seeing Mello in a couple of games like this kid has made some fucking incredible passes that no rookie should be making. Like that's how rare this skill is. Not many people in the history of the league have had that, that attribute and it's crazy. And it's so prevalent now on the nets. And I really don't know why that is. Maybe it's because the team is better than when Harden was on the Rockets. It's just, it's, it it's better. Like, you got guys like Joe Harris. Joe Harris has been fucking killing it this year. Landry Shamet has come alive as of late. Jeff Green has been putting up huge numbers in limited minutes. Like, shout out to Jeff Green, too, by the way, who, after having heart surgery a couple of years ago, is still playing meaningful minutes in the NBA at 34 years old. I mean, fuck, DeAndre Jordan has been playing well. Nick Claxton has been playing well. And, of course, Kyrie Irving and all of it goes back to James Harden. Even Kyrie Irving's remarkable play. He is afforded a certain amount of times throughout the game where he doesn't have to worry about three guys coming his way. Because if that were the case, he would just dish it off to Harden and the offense would be even more efficient than it is now. I'm not saying that Kyrie Irving is, again, like playing like shit because he's clearly not. I just feel that after looking at the numbers and seeing how greatly Harden's impact has come, and also there was like a really short adjustment period for James Harden. He pretty much hopped on a jet from Houston to Brooklyn and fit right in almost seamlessly. Like, let's just, I'm going to his game log real quick. So he arrives in Brooklyn on January 16th, his first game with the Nets. Puts up 32 points. 14 assists and 12 boards. And that was pretty much like. That, I'm trying to find the fucking word to describe what that was. But that was. Kind of when we realized that. This team could be super dangerous. Because the only thing Harden had to work on. Was his turnovers. He had nine in that game. Of course. That's very fucking horrible. But. For someone to come over and pretty much have, well, not pretty much, to just jump into the starting role on a brand new team with a bunch of guys who he's never played with, and for him to put up numbers like that, that is some special shit. And admittedly, Harden has fucking been pretty careful with the ball as of late. I mean, he's still turning the ball over like four and a half times a game, which Not really ideal, but for someone who is a, you know, historically high usage player. He's turning it over at about the same rate for his career. I have to sneeze. Holy shit. Hold on. I might leave that in. I might not. Oh, my God. Oh, that sneeze hurt. Oh, my God. Ow. Oh. That's the type of sneeze where, like, you sneeze. And, like, your whole equilibrium gets thrown off. Oh, my God. Dude. Whoa. That was fucking intense. Anyway. All things considered, I think that James Harden is maybe not the favorite to win the MVP just yet. Because I don't want to, I don't want to keep... Jumping back and forth so quickly, I want to stay with Joel Embiid until it's undeniable that there is someone better than him. Now, if Joel Embiid's injury is worse than we all thought, you know, that would be the perfect time for Harden to swoop in and be like, Hey, I'm here for my second MVP award. Should be my third MVP award, but whatever. Because, like, everything is pointing towards either Harden or Kyrie. Me, personally, I think Harden is the better pick. Better numbers. Just as vital to the team's success as Kyrie. And you know, the team's playing fucking incredible basketball. And I don't really want to take that away from him. Um, I think that's really that's really all I had to say about that. Um, I'm trying to think. What else happened? I feel like there was a lot more stuff that I wanted to talk about that I just never did. Um, March Madness is starting. I have quite actually zero interest in watching the big dance this year. I've watched 0 minutes of college basketball this season um because I just don't really find it enjoyable. Like that's really <laughs> that's really my only reasoning for it. So if you're going to ask me who I think is going to win the NCAA tournament um, I might just pick Baylor because I don't know, I, just just because maybe I'll pick Alabama. I saw this thing on ESPN where it's like the most picked teams to win the title. Um, it was of course all the one seeds and all the two seeds. I think Gonzaga was first at like forty percent, and then Alabama was all the way at the bottom at definitely less than ten percent, maybe less than five percent even. So I might just pick Alabama to be a fucking troll. But yeah, I have no knowledge about college basketball. I have, again, no interest in watching it this season or watching, having watched it. Uh, dude, I, this fucking sneeze really fucked me up. Give me one second. Oh, I just had to blow my nose. I'm definitely going to cut that out if it picked up on the microphone, which it probably did. Um, what was I talking about? Fucking, fucking, um, shit. Fucking, uh, uh, March Madness. Yeah. So, um, shout out to March Madness, I guess. I don't know. Uh, yeah, uh, my friends are always like, because I'm really the only one out of my friends. It's like me and a couple of the people, we kind of, follow, like, I follow the NBA more closely than anybody in my friend, in my friend group. And, you know, with March Madness, making brackets, playing for a little bit of money, they're always like, Zach, who do you like this year? And if they tell me that, I'm just going to be like, I don't like any of them. They all fucking suck. And you can't even like default on Duke or Kentucky because both of them were fucking dog water and missed the tournament, which, you know, whatever. Dude, like, I don't even know who the fucking potential player of the year is. I don't know who's eligible. The draft, who's fucking. I don't know anything about the prospects, about, you know, the draft, about the college basketball season. I just had no interest. You know, when your team is contending for a title, this is something I haven't experienced as a Nets fan yet. When your team is contending for a title, and I'm not trying to brag, but I am actually bragging because my team is contending for a title and only a select few fan bases a year get to realize what this is like. Up until this point, I had not realized it, but you don't need to watch other things because your team is just fucking better than everybody else 65% of the time. It's an amazing feeling. And then when you have, first of all, you get to watch every single one of these games. I mean, not to say that I wouldn't be able to consistently watch the Lakers or the Bucks or the Jazz or whoever, but well, first of all, the Lakers and the Clippers play every fucking game at ten o'clock Eastern, and I'm just not. I'm just not doing it. I'm fucking hate the East Coast time zone, three hours ahead of the West Coast. These folks are just sitting down to watch the game while I'm f- snuggled up in my bed trying to go to sleep. So fuck that. But when your team is actually winning and there are fucking MB- MVP caliber players on it. You don't need to watch anything else. And that's the best part about it. That is my favorite part. That's the part that I didn't realize would happen. And I don't know if people realize like that little part about it until their t- their favorite team is a contender. And I mean, you don't even have to really be like a contender. I'm sure Knicks fans feel the same way. Not because the team is contending, but because the team is, again, surprisingly so much better than the previous years and so much better than everybody anticipated. I mean, dude, the Knicks have been fucking amazing this year. Like, shout out to Tom Thibodeau. Um, I also want to give a shout out to my guy Karis Lavert. Uh, I think it was Sunday. I'm pretty sure it was was it Sunday? It had to have been Sunday. It had to have been Sunday. Let's I'm pretty sure. Yeah, May 13th. That was Saturday. Oh, no. Yeah, Saturday. But the game. Wait, hold on. What? Okay, so it was Saturday. Okay, he did come to. He did return on Saturday. Um, for anybody who doesn't know, I'm sure everybody at this point does know what happened. But Karis LeVert, you know, had his career saved. As weirdly, as weird as it sounds, he had his career saved by being traded to the Pacers. Um, he was a part of the James Harden deal. And me, I was very upset to see him go. I love Karis LeVert very much, and I hope he goes on to have a very prosperous career in the NBA. But he gets traded to Indiana, and you know, protocol, guys get traded, they gotta pass physicals. It was found out that. Karis Lavert had ha- had a mass on his kidney. I don't remember if they said it was a tumor or anything, but it was definitely, you know, less than ideal. The kidneys being one of the fucking most vital organs ever, and just the fact that, just the fact that he's able to keep playing is amazing. And he made his debut this weekend, and it's just so nice. To see him healthy again. So Caraj Levert, I miss you, my guy. Um, I'm talking to him like he knows who the fuck I am. Caris Levert, I miss you. Uh, I'm happy to see you back. But just know that when the Pacers do play the Nets again, I'm hoping that Kyrie Irving embarrasses you. And it's all in good fun. But yeah, so Carolish LeVert came back. That's fucking wild. Um, I wonder like what else is going on? I'm just trying to, you know, breeze through my explore page and yeah everything is just fucking everything is just coming up Kyrie because this man is a fucking beast um man and I'm only at 32 minutes I feel like there's more that I need to fucking talk about um hey man Drew Brees Drew fucking Breeze announced his retirement a couple days ago. Drew Brees, one of the greatest quarterbacks in the history of the NFL. I feel like Drew Brees is very much like the Wilt Chamberlain of the NFL because the numbers that this dude put up throughout his career are just fucking otherworldly. And the only difference being that it happened when people were actually around to see it happen. Like the big thing with Wilt is that this guy just seems kind of like a myth that the NBA created, even though he was a real person. Like back when Wilt was playing, there's only like 4,000 people coming to see you play compared to 12, 13, 14, 15, 18, thousand now. But Drew Brees called, called it a career the other day after 20 years, this man over 20 years, cemented himself as one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. And I remember I was watching ESPN yesterday, first take, Max and Steven and Molly, and they had a fucking, they had a fucking card on the TV that said, does Drew Brees belong? (laughs) Among the top-tier NFL quarterbacks, and I'm watching this, and I'm reading this text, and I'm like, what the fuck are they talking about? Granted, the sound was off, so I just, like, had it on. I wasn't really paying attention to it. I saw this. I was like, what the fuck? What the fuck is going on? Like, I know for a fact that Molly got this question from the producers and, you know, said it to Stephen A., and he just kind of rolled his eyes and said, oh, Lord. We're doing this. Are we doing this? Of course, Drew Brees is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Of course, Max Kellerman. I mean, this man, this man being six feet tall and being able to throw for 80,000 yards over his career is just simply sensational. It's simply sensational. Of course, this man belongs on the Mount Rushmore quarterbacks. I can just hear Stephen A's voice going off like that. I mean... But yeah, like, when you think about it, what a stupid fucking question. What a dumb fucking question. I have Drew Brees' stats page open right now, right? And I'm going to scroll down to the bottom just so we can see where he ranks on all of the leaderboards. First of all, he's a 13-time Pro Bowl selection. He's MVP. He won. Oh, he was never the MVP. But he was the Super Bowl MVP when he won in 2009. And he was a two-time offensive player of the year. Pretty fucking good. Consistently, one of the best players in the NFL. Um, The top 100 list, he was top 10 once, twice, thrice, twice, fifths, five times he was inside the top 10. And I mean, even in his old age, he came in at 12 on the 2020 list. That's pretty fucking good. Um, He was only all pro one. He was only first team all pro one time. I mean... I guess that kind of makes sense when you consider that Drew Brees had to deal with fucking Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady and later in his career, Patrick Mahomes. I mean, you know, really not that easy to make a name for yourself going up against, you know, again some of the other greatest quarterbacks of all time. But we're just going to scroll through this real quick. Drew Brees, first all-time in passes completed. First all-time in passing yards, more than eighty thousand, second Second all-time in passing TDs with 571, trailing only Tom Brady, who has no business being 75 years old and still playing in the NFL. Um, what else? Uh, ah, here we are. Fifth all time in passer rating, passing yards per game, 280 for his career. Second all time. Like, I don't know if the NFL values championships or at least people, you know, talk about the legacy of NFL players. I don't know if they value championships as much as NBA player as much as um like NBA fans do. Because whenever we get into a GOAT discussion, the biggest thing, especially when you compare like LeBron and Jordan, it's always 6 titles to 3. And I wonder if that's not so prevalent in the NFL because like really There have been fewer champions, or there have been more champions all time. I guess that would be the issue. Like each, like the top teams all have fewer championships, I believe. But then, like Tom Brady, there's no one even really close to him, so he's an anomaly. Like at least with Jordan, he's got six titles. Kareem has six titles. Bill Russell has eleven titles. Kobe has five titles. Magic Johnson has five titles. Larry Bird has, I think, three. Larry Bird's got three titles. Um, LeBron four. I'm sorry, I said three before. LeBron has four titles now. Steph Curry has three titles. Like, I don't really think it's like that in the NFL. I mean, Drew Brees only has one title, but then he's going up against guys like Peyton Manning and again, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers later on, Patrick Mahomes. I mean, it's just, I could see how difficult it would be to, you know, be able to stack these titles, especially when. You know for a fact that Tom Brady is most likely going to be there. And the Patriots, and more recently, the Buccaneers, like it's clear that Tom Brady is a fucking different breed. Like this guy is undeniably the greatest football player of all time. But to question Drew Brees's spot as a top tier quarterback in NFL history, I feel is just wrong. Like, am I, am I weird for that? I mean, I might be, I really don't know the NFL like that. And maybe it's because I don't know the NFL like that, where maybe I'm undervaluing guys like Steve Montana, or Steve Montana, fuck Steve Young and Joe Montana and Brett Favre. But like, statistically, there has been no better quarterback than Drew Brees, except for, you know, Tom Brady, like five, five five times Drew Brees has thrown for more than 5,000 yards he was consistently one of the most accurate quarterbacks like led the league in completion percentage six times routinely over 70 percent he did 67 percent for his career even at 41 years old Drew Brees completed 70.5 percent of his passes and had a touchdown to interception ratio of four to one while averaging a little bit less than 250 yards per game like I just I don't understand why someone would look at Drew Brees' resume and be like you know what this guy fucking sucks he's not a top-tier quarterback in the history of the league that'd be like looking at fucking Hakeem Olajuwon's career and seeing all the numbers he put up granted he only won two titles I mean only and you know there may people may even put an asterisk Next to those titles, saying that, you know, those were the two years that Jordan wasn't playing. And if Jordan was playing, the Bulls maybe would have won eight titles in a row. Maybe that would have happened, but it it didn't. And we can't change history, so we shouldn't really harp about it. But like, imagine watching Akim Olajuwon, arguably the most skilled player in the history of basketball. What this guy was able to do at his size was unfucking rivaled And it will never be rivaled. Like, Hakeem Olajuwon was different. I know we look at Joel Embiid and think, oh, that's Olajuwon. Like, it is, but it's really not. Like, Hakeem was just, I remember when I was reading Bill Simmons' book of basketball, and he pretty much described Hakeem Olajuwon as, I don't remember what it was verbatim, but he was talking about how it was just a perfect mix of quite literally everything and how that will never happen again. Like, you have this guy who is enormous. Super tall, incredible length, super athletic, crazy coordination, a fantastic soccer player. So his footwork was otherworldly. And he comes to the NBA and almost right away becomes the best center in the league. And to this day, he's still probably one of the 15 best players of all time. If we're talking about skill, he's probably even higher on that list, just in terms of pure skill, when you look at guys like. I'll throw Kyrie Irving out there, Hakeem Olajuwon, Larry Bird, Steph Curry, uh, Kobe Bryant, like guys who just are so technically proficient in so many other things, in just so many things. Like when you look at it like that, you could easily make a case that Hakeem is the most skilled basketball player of all time. I don't know if he is. I'm probably biased. I want to say it's Kyrie Irving or shit, maybe even Kevin Durant. But that's what we're talking about here. That's how I feel about Drew Brees, like Hakeem Olajuwon could easily be on the Mount Rushmore of centers. Because when you think of just great centers, there's Shaq, there's Bill Russell, there's Wilt Chamberlain, there's Kareem. I think Kareem and Shaq are definitely on there. Um, I'm trying to think. I hope I'm not missing anybody else. Kareem, Shaq. You know, I'd probably I'd definitely put Hakeem on that Mount Rushmore. And I think also uh, Bill Russell as well. But then again, you can make the case for Will. Just like if you're talking about NFL quarterbacks, you know, Tom Brady's got to be on there. Fuck, you want to put Joe Montana or Steve Young on there? You know, and I'm probably missing a couple people. Again, I'm not really an expert in NFL history. I don't understand the lore of the league that well. I kind of just, I just like to watch it. You know, I'm a simple guy. I see fo- I see sports, I watch it's that simple, but just having watched Drew Brees all these years, like it would be silly to say that he doesn't at least have a case to be among the fucking top tier players in NFL history. I feel it's super disingenuous and also quite actually a little disrespectful um, to talk about him in that light. Um, we're coming up on 45 minutes, and I think that I might be running dry on content like i feel bad a little bit too i don't know man it's tough and like i there's really nothing happening here on good old twitter.com at least nothing with um i mean yeah like everything on my explore page is just nets related I mean, we got the Barkley Center tweeting. We got ESPN dropping highlights of that questionable call at the end of the game. Um, we got Magic Johnson thanking Kevin Durant for the shout-out on your podcast. That's awesome. <laughs> I fucking... Bro, hold on. I gotta go to Magic Johnson's Twitter account. This man has probably the best Twitter account in, the, in all of sports. Like, it's just... This man literally tweets like a fucking 2K AI. Congratulations to one of the greatest entertainers ever, Beyonce, on making history tonight and setting their record for the most Grammy Awards for a woman artist. Parentheses, 28 exclamation point. Cookie and I are so happy for you. <laughs> What's another one? With Paul Pierce and Michael Cooper going into the Hall of Fame at the same time, the ceremony will definitely be sold out with Lakers and Celtics fans. Can you imagine two men from LA that have played for two of the most storied franchises in the NBA at Showtime Cooper at Paul Pierce 34? I fucking I want Magic Johnson to tweet for him. Oh fuck, that's right. Hall of Fame. That's oh dude. That's what that totally slowed my mind. There's like this weird gap where like if something comes out On a day when I record. I'll just forget about it. Because you know. Seven days pass in between. Recording each episode. And it's just like. If it comes out on Tuesday or Wednesday. It's fucking gone. Because I'm just not really fixated. On news at that point. I'm just fixated on recording. And fucking posting this. But um. I'm gonna pull up. So this was on March 9th. Which was that. Yep. Tuesday. The day I recorded. It was like probably that night. So. We found out that there are, or we found out the 2020 list, the 2021 candidates for entering the NBA or the Basketball Hall of Fame, pardon me. So Paul Pierce, Michael Cooper, and Chris Bosh highlight the um, the list of candidates looking to get into the Hoops Hall. There are also a whole bunch of other people. We got Rick Adelman, legendary NBA head coach, Jay Wright, legendary um, collegiate coach with Villanova, Yolanda Wright, two-time Olympic gold medalist, three-time WNBA three-time WNBA MVP Lauren Jackson and former MB, former WNBA coach of the year Mary Ann Stanley plus Hall of Famer Bill Russell for inclusion as, inclusion as a coach. Um we'll see about that. Then we have I believe multiple people who are on the ballots again. Um here is Lita, Leta Andrews. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing your first name, but apparently they are the all-time winningest high school coach, male or female. That's quite the accomplishment, actually. And then we have Chris Weber, who I think, I don't know if Chris Weber is going to make it. And then Tim Hardaway, Marcus Johnson, and Ben Wallace. How the fuck Ben Wallace is not in the Hall of Fame yet is just fucking mind-blowing to me. It literally does not make any sense. Ben Wallace is one of the most dominant defensive players of all time. And they're like, nah, you don't, you don't get to be in the Hall of Fame. Ben Wallace averaged 9.6 boards, two blocks, and 1.3 steals for his career. He was a four-time All-Star A four-time defensive player of the year. There was four separate instances when the voters looked at Ben Wallace and was like, okay, he is the best defensive player in the league. And for whatever reason, the voters who are picking the Hall of Famers are like, get fucked. I don't understand the rationale behind that. Like, why is Ben Wallace not in the Hall of Fame? Why? Is it because, like, everything else he did kind of stunk? Maybe, but I don't really feel that's a legitimate excuse. Like, so what if he, was, if he wasn't a fucking great player on offense? It doesn't matter. He was a terrifying defender. One of the most intimidating defenders of all time, I will go so far to say. I mean, you put somebody like Tikembe Mutombo in the Hall of Fame, who really, at his peak, yes, Mutombo was a significantly, I don't want to say significantly better defender, but, you know, a little bit better shot blocker than Ben Wallace, also five inches taller. What Ben Wallace was doing at like 6'9", six, 6'8", six, playing center, blocking three and a half shots a game, pretty fucking astounding, if you ask me. Uh, Dikembe Matumbo's in the Hall of Fame. He's also a four-time defensive player of the year. And I think it's just really weird to say that you're going to induct... Dikembe Mutombo, who also deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, and not Ben Wallace, just because Ben Wallace averaged a little fewer points. It just does not not make any sense to me. So with that, I'm going to pray. I'm going to say a prayer that Ben Wallace winds up in the Hall of Fame, and that is going to bring us to the end of the show. As always, thank you guys so much for listening. If this was your first time, welcome. If this is your second time, your third time, if you're a returning listener, welcome back. I'm so, so grateful that you would choose to spend some time here with me. Um, any way you could support the show is super appreciated, whether you're following it on social media, following it on your preferred podcast platform, you know, leaving a rating and a review in Apple Podcasts also helps a lot. And with that, I will catch you guys in the next one.